Welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. As you know, or as you should know, my name is Adam Rosted, your story peddler for this episode and every episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining us. How are you guys? Uh, you know what? I'm tired, but I'm but I'm feeling good. It's been a long day at work today, and I'm coming home to record this and edit the podcast and get it out for you guys. Speaking of the podcast, could you guys do me a favor? Would you please go to the Apple Podcasts app or maybe on iTunes on your computer and just leave us a rating and a review. Tell us what we're doing right, maybe what we're doing wrong. Give us a five star or four star, preferably nothing under that. We'd like to, you know, keep the rating up. The rating helps other people find our podcast. So if you enjoy what we do, uh, please help us out that way. Um, hey, this episode of the podcast is from our October 2017 event. The theme was Halloween. We had a costume contest that was won by somebody who was dressed up as Recyclops from The Office. If you don't know who that is, I suggest you watch every season of The Office until you find Recyclops and then continue watching because it's the best show of all time. So these are those stories from Halloween, some good spooky Halloweeny stories. And uh, actually, I don't remember if there were any spooky ones. I'm about to edit the podcast right now. But if you would like to hear more stories, our next live event is this coming Saturday, November 18th at the Wilmar Center. The theme is Hungover. So come tell great stories about the mornings that you swore you'd never drink again, and maybe some about the nights that got you there. We're sponsored by Ale Asylum. Like I said, it's at the Wilmar Center. The doors open at 6. Stories start at 7. And so you're going to want to be there on time. November is usually the month that we start to get fuller and people more people come. So there's oftentimes around 7 o'clock, it's standing room only. So if you are coming, be sure to come early, grab a seat, and we will get you in there. And come sign up and tell the story because that's why we're there. But you don't you don't have to tell a story. You can you can just come and listen. It's no big deal. Either way, you're going to come. We're going to have a great time and then uh we'll award the winner and as always we'll do a raffle. So, um anyway, enough business. Let's get down to it. We're here to hear stories. Here to hear stories. Yes, we are. So without further ado, here are some stories from Halloween. We're not doing that the whole time. I can't breathe in it. (laughs) For the podcast, I am in a horrendous and frankly horrifying horse suit. All right. Oh my God, it's hot in that thing. Anyway, um... Ah, when I got here, also, everyone's in such great costumes. I was so proud of myself, because I really love this show. I am dressed as Bojack Horseman, by the way, and I really love that show. And I was like, oh, I have most of the pieces. It'll be great. It'll be a good costume. And all the costumes here are really good. I mean, my girlfriend dressed up better than me. That should have been, like, my warning sign. But I really love dressing up. Uh, I always loved Halloween as a kid. Um, I share that with... Maria, and unlike Adam, I went to a public school, so, you know, just Satan abound, it was fine, it was fine, <laughs> whatever, do, do you. So when I get to that age where I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to be for Halloween this year, and my mom is like, what are you talking about? You're in middle school, you're not going trick-or-treating? That was a real bummer, so I needed to find a new outlet for me to to, to get dressed up in. And so I got into theater. And yes, that is how I'm linking this to the theme. All the judges, go ahead, write 10. He did it. <laughs> and just move on on the sheet. So the first show I ever auditioned for in middle school was Annie. Uh, which, of course, in middle school, we only did musicals. We did the junior versions for anyone who did those in middle school. It's just abbreviated versions of Broadway shows. And I was, of course, in the chorus because I was terrible and I couldn't sing, so I was like the anti-double threat. (laughs) I could move my feet, but dancing was a strong word. Um, 
I remember uh, we were doing warm-ups for our opening night. I was going to be on stage for the first time in front of an audience, and all the servants, all of Daddy Warbuck's servants got together, and we, we did our warm-up. And the music director was like, Zach, you are singing a little loud. Maybe don't. <laughs> Bring it down. She really said that. She was like, Zach, you're a bit loud. I can hear you. I think she meant to say, I think she meant to say I can hear you over everyone else. But I got the message loud and clear. So come time, next year rolls around. It's time for my second show. I audition, it's Into the Woods, Junior. And I put everything into the acting audition. I'm like, if there is a character who doesn't sing, I want it. So I put all of my effort into the acting audition. And when it comes time for everyone to line up and sing their best rendition of Happy Birthday, I just hit that high note with all the same grace I hit puberty. It was a train wreck. <laughs> It was an absolute nightmare. And I'm realizing right now, as far as like power moves go in an audition, I may have peaked in middle school, which is, that's not good. And the cast list comes up. And what do you know? I, I got a part. It's, there, it was, there was always the two-tiered list in middle school. You could tell if you had a part that was unique because you were on the top half of the sheet, whereas the bottom half was everyone who got in the chorus. And I was on the top hat. I didn't have a name. I was the mysterious man. For those of you who have seen Into the Woods, you know. For those who don't, spoiler alert, he's the, the main character, the baker's father, it turns out. And he dies in the middle, sorry. It came out in 1970, whatever. Um, but I got this part, and I get the script, and I have lines. I get a script, like the, the kids in the chorus, fuck them, they didn't even get scripts. <laughs> I got a book. I was like, I'm in. And I go in and I'm looking for every bit where I have lines and I'm so excited and I'm highlighting them. Uh, and there's no singing. It's amazing. Um, because the junior version, and I will get to why this is important in a second, but unlike Annie, which is just like, we cut out this scene and this scene and this scene, and now it's good for middle schoolers. Um, Into the Woods starts out very innocent, and then act two is very raunchy, so they just cut it at the middle. They just said, act one, end, end of the kids' version. Because act two, people have sex in the bush bushes, and Prince Charming gets a divorce from the princess. It, it's really good, but it's also like not good for 14-year-olds. So I'm, even my mom, like, my mom counts all the lines in my script when I'm not looking. She's so proud of me. She even brags to someone, and I'm a little embarrassed. Uh, Zach has 18 lines. It's amazing. <laughs> now, I hear you guys laughing. 18 is not a lot. I admit it, but at the time, it was such a big deal. I learned them all super quickly, way before anyone else in the show. Every night, like I was putting in during rehearsal, 110 in, every night the director was always calling me out, guys, get your, get your energy levels up to where Zach is. There was usually someone else in there, because she didn't just, you know, want to say, like, Zach's a fucking lunatic, he just, just, just go there. Um, but my son, not my actual son, my son in the play, I was 14. Uh, <laughs> my son, the baker, who is played by uh, a young gentleman, Peter Petropolis, which is probably the most middle school boy name ever. He is not where I'm at, as far as lines go. And he's constantly messing up. Uh, so in the last second to last scene in the junior version. That's when I, like, I've shown up and I've had three or four lines and I mysteriously vanish into the chorus. But at the very end, I show up and the witch reveals the secret. It's your father who's been helping you the whole time. And I'm like, no, hurry. Uh, you have to, they're trying to stop a curse because the baker wants to have a child, but his wife can't. Uh, so they have to collect all these items from all these different fairy tales. Uh, Jack and the Beanstalks, uh, Cow, Little Red Riding Hood's cape, stuff like that. And I'm like, no, get it all, get, you know, throw it all in the cauldron or whatever. Fuck, I don't remember what they put all the items in. And at the very end of the play, Peter, as the baker, 
was supposed to look at me and say, what's wrong? And I go, son, son. And he goes, father. And I deliver what I believed at the time to be like the most like, important line in the play, which in retrospect is a terrible line. All is repaired. And then I die. <laughs> and then the stage manager drags me off stage because I wasn't getting up after that. I was acting. I was dead. But he kept forgetting my cue for all is repaired. And every time after the show, the director would be like, Zach, you forgot your line at the end of the show. And I'm like, no, Peter forgot his line. I was waiting for him to get it right because I wasn't dying until he gave me the right line. But we're, we're messing it up all the way through auditions and we get to the first show night and we're on stage and I'm like, that line is the most important line in the play. I am not letting Peter forget it. I am not dying until Peter gives me my goddamn cue. So we get through the play. It, it's pretty well. And by the way, since I was tenuously tying this together through costumes, I had a pretty great costume. Great, like, gray, long wig and this robe made of, like, tattered quilts. I felt so cool. Um, but we're there in the final scene, and I'm like hunched over, and I'm like, ah, I'm dying, and I'm like, son, son, and Peter's like, what? And I'm like, here we go. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, and he's like, what, what is it? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I'm like, ah, and he's like, Zach, come on. <laughs> So at that point, I felt like maybe the experience was being ruined overall for the audience. I felt that maybe Peter had made some choices that may have degraded the show and I would have to go off script to repair them. So I died, not getting to deliver my line. And the stage manager dragged me off stage. That's, that's the end, everyone got real quiet. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to do with that if I got it, but you enjoy that horse face, all right? And that wasn't a Sarah Jessica Parker joke. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Uh, next up is a guy that I met because he came and slept on my couch via couchsurfing.org. That was like two years ago. Please put your hands together for Levi Anderson. Your expectations of me are too high. Uh, my name is Levi. I'm a hopaholic. Okay. I know it's going to get hot with this vest on. I have proof. I wore this last week. I'll wait for the photo. My manager booked this gig. I usually don't work so close to my hole. Uh, but <laughs> that was a throwaway joke. No way. All right. Um, anyways, so I moved here in March. Yes, we met two years ago when I was couch surfing. I moved to this great state, having only drank two alcoholic beverages in one session four years ago. Since then, I've gone two days without drinking alcohol. My mom was like, Levi, do you think life is an alcoholic? He's my older brother that we both mutually look up to each other. I was like, I don't know, Mom, but I'm drunk right now. <laughs> when do we turn left? <laughs> no, I wasn't driving. No, I wasn't driving. Um, so last Tuesday, I left this great state, and I went to Seattle, Portland, came back for my 32, 32nd birthday, then went to Chicago and came back. So you're looking at a man that turned 32 on the road uh, and has been gone since Tuesday, and that means that I'm not wearing any clean clothing at all. Uh, all the clean clothing in my house is in my dryer right now. We're hoping it's dry, but we have no proof. We'll send somebody to see. Um, part of being on the road uh, for work, I make beverage recipes. Um, this weekend, yeah, I was throwing in, this is true, last weekend, Fruit Loops, D3, 
dehydrated milk and this strawberry syrup that we make. It's a Fruit Loop Frappe, and it's delicious. <laughs> and when the time's right, I take the color based off the mood and who I think you are. If you look sad, I'll grab a blue one, and I'll crush it and put it on top. If you've been to Willie Street Market, I'll grab a green one, and I'll crush it and put it on top. I'm a little Fruit Loop Bay salt guy. Anyways, these are all the jokes just to create connection with you. What happened at the show? <laughs> what happened at the show is uh, last year I did 15 trade shows, and that's not even my primary function as an adult. Um, all around the world, um, making drinks, like the example of the Fruit Loop Frappe, which is delicious but also really silly. Anyone that's been to high school could make this, but they send me to do it, which is a compliment and also an anomaly. Um, but they also don't check to see if I'm sober when I show up or leave, so... No, that also is a joke. I'm sorry, Michael Wheeler, if you're listening to this. He's my manager. He did not book this gig. He's my real manager that pays my paychecks. <laughs> so I show up to these trade shows, and it's really boring sometimes because you just make the same drinks, and someone goes, what's that? And I'm like, oh, this is actually dehydrated. What's that? That's a soda. What's that? And then they're drinking the third one. I'm like, that's alcohol. You should be careful. You're pregnant. <laughs> No, but people, you can understand the like, give and take of it all. It's kind of a funny thing. So a guy's got to keep himself entertained on the road. Uh, and what I do is I dress up. We have the trade show fashion show, started by yours truly. Um, vendors there give away the most wonderful items and trinkets that you can adorn yourself with. Um, this is all from Amazon. Um, fanny packs, uh, shirts, aprons. You can understand where the trade show fashion show soars to, but also what's limited by. And a guy gets tired on the road and seeks other fancies. So thanks to my friend Amazon Prime, I found out about this costume party, much like I found out about this costume party, I think, while I was on the road, um, at the Black Rabbit. You can see where this is going to right now. For those of you listening, I'm wearing white suit and white rabbit ears. <laughs> also, if you're visually impaired, that's a good piece of information. <laughs> you should eat more carrots if you're visually impaired. Um, so I find out about this show, or this uh, costume party. Last year, or two years ago, they had a great, great themed party. Uh, bring your own vessel, pour a latte into it, make a pretty drink. Um, people brought pumpkins. The winner obviously brought a doll, and a uh, baby doll, and cut off the head and was drinking out of it. <laughs> The only messed up part was it was decaf. I was like, whoa. I feel like that baby. That mind's been blown. So I show up to uh, the trade show dressed in this all-white suit. Um, and everyone's like, whoa, you're crazy. You're making coffee. And I was like, I've done this. This is the 90th day I've done this in the last four years. And I've never spilled on myself. This is from the party I went to later on. So I go... I do the trade show, all's fine, all's well. I go back to my hotel and I overnighted these ears because I forgot them from Amazon Prime. Went to a locker near my hotel, thank you Portland. And I show up to this trade show after party. Um, so many wonderful details about this show, about the people I met, about the jokes we all shared, about the pointing, about the laughter. The main thing I suppose that you just need to know where it all uh, culminates is when I get there. It's about 150 people. Um, that's about right, yeah. Free beer. Uh, they were giving away a whole espresso machine, uh, hot dogs, all sorts of stuff. And I walk in. And I'm by myself, of course, because on the road, like, they just send me out and I support the sales team. Um, I'm kind of the... I, I think I'm there for entertainment for the other staff as much as just to make the drinks. Uh, so I show up solo, I look around at my surroundings. I'm like, who has the best costume? Is anyone else going to be a black rabbit? Because we will be friends. <laughs> but no, it was not a costume party. <laughs> and that's my story. All right, you just saw her in her costume with her child, who is Satan. Thanks, 
in real life and in fiction. Please put your hands together for Mel Hammond. This story takes place during middle school when it was getting towards the age where it was uncool to dress up for Halloween. But luckily for me, I had um, two best friends, and one was a year younger than me, and one was two years younger than me. So I kind of had an in into the whole trick-or-treating scene, because as long as I was with them, it was still within the parameters of, like, okay to trick-or-treat. So I had a huge crush on their family. So they were sisters, and their family had everything that I was looking for in a family. Their, their dad was so fun. He like, played games with them and like, goofed off and like, picked them up and threw them on the couch. And it, it was always a fun time at their house. And their mom like, baked them cinnamon rolls and took them shopping and was a, a Spanish teacher and would like, teach them all these Spanish words. And their house was such a fun time. And whereas I got to have sleepovers, with Kirsten and Andrea about once a week or once every couple weeks, they got to have sleepovers with each other every single day. <laughs> and it just was not fair. So I just, I wanted to be their sister so badly. So for Halloween, um, I had the idea that we could all dress up in a group costume that would kind of require us to spend a lot of time together. My idea was conjoined triplets. <laughs> so I had this grand costume plan. We used two pairs of swishy sweatpants and then two Hanes white t-shirts. And we, we didn't sew, so we, um, we did that thing, like, I don't know if y'all did it in middle school, but you could like take a t-shirt and kind of cut the, the sides and then tie the sides together. So it was like a t-shirt, but like super cool. <laughs> so we, did, we cut the sides of the legs of the sweatpants and then tied them together. Um, so we ended up with, uh, with sweatpants that were, had four legs. So the two middle legs had to be wide enough to accommodate two human legs. <laughs> and then the t-shirt... We, we also cut that up and tied it in the middle, but then we, we put on this front-facing armhole, um, and I was in the middle, and so my arm just like came out the middle like this. Um, and I was so proud of this costume. Like, other friends were talking about how, you know, it was, they were going to go trick-or-treating, but they were just going to put on a hat, you know? They were just going to put on a funny hat, get some candy, and go home. They weren't, like, into the whole trick-or-treating thing. But I was so into the trick-or-treating thing, especially since I got to spend the whole day with my two best friends, not even an inch apart, skin to skin, all day. <laughs> so it was, it was great. <laughs> So we've constructed this costume, and um, it's um, Halloween, and we, in my old town, we did this thing where we had Halloween trick-or-treating during the middle of the day from 2 to 4, um, and it was always on daylight savings day, like the day it changes, so everyone like was off with the timing, so you'd like go to a house and they wouldn't understand that trick-or-treating had already started. They'd be like, go home, it's not time yet. Um, <laughs> So anyways, we had on our costume. Um, it, took, it took a lot to get into this costume. There was a lot of coordination. It's like a three-legged race except two three-legged teams together because you had like two legs in the middle that each had two human legs inside. Um, so we like had on the costume and we like kind of like stumbled out the front door. <laughs> We had our bags of uh, like that didn't have candy, but they hopefully would have candy. Um, and so we like crawl to our to my yard, right at my house. We crawl to my yard and then use the side of the porch to stand ourselves up. I'm I'm in the middle, and because I was the oldest one, I was quite a bit taller than the other two. Kirsten was a few inches shorter than me, and then Andrea was even shorter. Um, so there was, there was that challenge to accommodate as well. Um, so 
We're in my yard. We've stood ourselves up. And so I say, all right, step. <laughs> and we step and immediately face plant in the grass. So I'm like, okay, okay. We're, we're still figuring this out. We like hobble up to our feet again. Remember, my arm's just like hanging out in the middle. I've got my candy bag. It's just out there. So I'm like, all right, one, two, three, thud. Face plant on the ground again. So we kind of like get to our knees and side crawl to my neighbor's house, the first trick-or-treating house. And once we're on her porch, we like hold on to the doorknob and like pull ourselves up so that Andrea can ring the doorbell. And then we hold out our candy bags. She opens the door. She's like, oh, isn't it a little, little early for trick-or-treating? And we're like, no, change your clock. It's time. But she, she had her candy, so she, she gave us each a piece of candy and said, that's quite an, a unique costume. I've never seen anything like that. I'm like, yeah, we're so excited about it. We're like really getting the hang of it. <laughs> So she shuts, shuts the door, and then we turn around, and like, there's a step on this porch. And so we're like, all right, all right, inch towards the, towards the edge of the step. One, two, three, thud. Face plant on the walkway. Okay, so we um, knee side crawl to the next house. We're like, all right. <laughs> It's been 20 minutes, <laughs> one piece of candy. Let's pick up the pace here. <laughs> so we <laughs> slide ourselves over to the next house. We ring the doorbell. These folks have changed their clocks. They are ready to go. They're like, oh, great costume. We're like, thank you. We're getting the hang of this. We hold out our bags. My, I'm just holding my bag straight out in the middle. My other arm's just like down here by the side, like wedged between me and Andrea's thighs. We're like, all right, number two piece of candy. Got it. Great. Okay, they close the door. We turn around, thud, face plant right in the grass. We're like, oh my god, this hurts so bad, and we've got two pieces of candy. So <laughs> I like take my arm out of the the sleeve. I'm like, this hurts so bad. So I just kind of like bring it down and kind of shimmy the shirt up so that I can use both my arms. I'm like, we gotta we gotta change strategy. So we're like, all right, all right, let's just practice practice walking we'll walk back to your house and so it's like a safe space we can just practice in the grass so we stand ourselves up again and just step face plant get up step face plant get up so by the time we get to my house we are sore we're annoyed we're like everyone else is getting so much candy and we've both got two one of them was probably like a Charleston Chew or something because that's the kind of neighborhood I lived in. So by the time we finally pull ourselves back to my house, we're like, we are done with Halloween. We are too old for these stupid costumes. We went inside, we put on funny hats, and then we went around the neighborhood. <laughs> Hey, how's it going? It's me, Adam, again. Just making sure that you're having a good time and all that good stuff. Hey, maybe I'm just checking in, actually, because you might be a person who skips the intro, and you need to know that on Saturday, November 18th, we're going to be doing another one of these story slams, and the theme then is hungover. We'll be at the Wilmar Center. Doors open at 6 and stories start at 7, so come here and tell great stories about all the times that you've woken up regretting the decisions you've made last night. Also, if you could do me a favor and just rate and review the podcast so that more people can find our podcast and listen to the show and hear these amazing stories, another way you could accomplish that is just by sharing this on your Facebook wall or Twitter account. Uh, or just text it to a friend and say, Hey, that last story by Mel was so funny, you've got to hear it. And it starts at this time, or you don't got to get so into depth. Just text it to somebody and say, Hey, this is a great show. You should listen to it. 
and you should come to the next Story Slam on Saturday, November 18th. Anyway, that's enough. Let's get back to some stories. Next up is somebody who is a wonderful storyteller, uh, and he's been here since the beginning, and he's a dear friend, so please put your hands together for Tom Schmidt. So at storytelling, there are certain things we're not allowed to do. We're not allowed to have props. And we're not allowed to throw things. The rest is for me. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, um, I was uh, brought up in Milwaukee. I was born in 1947. World War II ended in what, 1945. Um, and so the, the neighborhood that I lived in, I'll give you a little background, uh, was an ethnic neighborhood. And so we had things in our neighborhood in Milwaukee that were maybe unusual for a lot of people, and that was we had alleys for one thing, and the other thing is, uh, we still had horse and carts in Milwaukee at the time. So we'd have a rag man, for instance, going down the alleys, hollering with a, he had a cadence for his rags. It'd be rags, rags. And this horse would come down and he'd walk behind this cart and he'd load rags up on the cart and he'd have a shovel and he'd shovel up behind his horse. We had uh, uh, milkmen that would show up and actually put milk at your door. Or you'd have a little box on the side of your house that he'd put the milk in. You'd have an order out there for him. We had streetcars yet. Um, so an ethnic neighborhood, Jewish, Catholics, Protestants, Poles, Germans, Dutch, Russians. So we had you know, a lot of flavor in the neighborhood. So when it came time for trick-or-treating, there was a lot of potential variety. And so when we would go out trick-or-treating, now this is probably uh, when I was maybe, you know, seven, eight, nine in that time frame somewhere. Uh, after a while, you know, you forget exactly what time frame it was. <laughs> But we'd go out and we would uh, uh, go to various neighbors. Uh, across the street there was a, a lady uh, who was real nice and uh, uh, every once in a while her son would show up in the summertime with his Palomino and it was something he took on tour for instance and he would, uh, the horse would do tricks out in the street, 49th Street. And one of the things that the horse liked when he got done with his treats was a bottle of Coca-Cola. <laughs> and that was the time when Roy Rogers was big and he had a, you know, the Palomino. The Palominos were big at that time. Anyway, it was a pretty neat thing. So trick-or-treating would show up and we'd take our paper bag. Not much bigger than this, to be totally honest. I wish it would have been bigger. <laughs> but we would walk around and we'd get our candy. And we would get apples. This was before razor blades and apples were, you know, the thing that uh, was distributed to children in the neighborhoods. In fact, I've got one here. <laughs> But that's, this is for me. <laughs> but some of the neighbors were, uh, I, I, I suspect that they were people that were, had come over, you know, after the war. And uh, a lot of times we didn't know whether or not there were, they were people that just were immigrants or if they were people that were survivors from the Holocaust. Um, you got a little, a few hints every once in a while when, 
you know, the dead of summer, somebody would be outside cutting their grass and they'd be wearing long sleeves because of the tattoos that they were, were imprinted on their arms having, being in a camps. And so when we would go trick-or-treating, you, you know, as, and as a kid too, you, you weren't necessarily aware of all of the intricacies of this time period that a lot of these people went through. Although I was an early reader and uh, we had a lot of books around the house and, and I would read or look at pictures and, and so I, I was aware of it, but you know, not, not to the degree that you know, I thought, well, this doesn't happen in my neighborhood and this is something you know, that other generations deal with. I don't have to deal with this. And so you'd go around and you'd do your trick-or-treating and you'd stop at a house that maybe was a little bit unfamiliar to you and you'd, rather than getting candy or, or coins or an apple, uh, you'd get a carrot. <laughs> um, and it wouldn't be like a carrot that was all cut up and ready, you know. It was a, you know, a carrot with a with stem on it yet and it'd be a little wilted besides. But the one that I got was a potato. <laughs> and at the time, you know, you get a potato in your trick-or-treat bag and you think, I'm not going back to this house again. <laughs> but over the years, this potato has left me thinking that these people in this house, some kid shows up at their house in a costume and says, trick or treat, and these people want to do something nice for you. They don't have candy, or maybe they didn't even know that trick or treating, that's what you're supposed to have, but they wanted to give you something. And that something was perhaps very important to them. Certainly at one point in their lives, I suspect, it was incredibly important to them. And so they would give me, they gave me a potato. And I still remember this, every time I'd be trick-or-treating, I had a lot of fun at trick-or-treating, including, you know, some of the tricks once in a while. <laughs> but the potato was the thing that, that catches me every single time with trick-or-treating. I'm not going to throw this, okay? <laughs> uh, but I wanted to, to, to also make comment that my, my last name is Schmidt, so that's a German name. And uh, there was a time during World War I and World War II that Germans were uh, thought of like uh, like the Japanese would have been thought of during World War II. And there were indeed some uh, uh, detention camps for citizens who were Germans in the United States. And a lot of my friends were Jewish as I grew up in high school, and junior high school and in college. And uh, because the neighborhood I was in, we had a lot of Jewish kids around. And my best friend in, in high school was probably Oscar. And Oscar's last name was Fishman. So I'd go over by Oscar's house and I'd wake him up every morning because he was a sleeper and I wasn't. And to get out and play and his mom and dad would let me in the house and tell me to wake Oscar up and I'd go and wake him up and we'd go out and do whatever we were gonna do for the day. And one day Oscar said to me, he said, you know, my dad said to me, he said, you can never trust a German. Don't ever trust a German. And Oscar's dad, when he was in Germany, he was not in a camp. And the reason why he wasn't in a camp was he was in a line of people walking up to a table. And at the table, there was somebody that said, go this way or go this way. One way was behind a hill, and the other way was, I, I really don't know. Anyway, he walked, Oscar's dad got up to the front of the line and he saw that the guy that was directing 
was a Jew and somebody that would maybe have a degree of sympathy. And so when he told Oscar's dad to go behind the hill, Oscar's dad went the other way. And the guy didn't say anything. So Oscar's dad got through the war by fighting for the, on the German, the German army, the Russian army, and the German army, all on a, a progression to get out of Germany. His wife was in a camp. She was in Bergen-Belsen. She gave birth to her, Oscar's older sister, in a camp. And obviously she was liberated. And she always wore long sleeves. So when Oscar's dad said to him, don't trust a German, Oscar told me about this and he said, Oscar said to his dad, well, what about Schmitty? And Oscar's dad said, Schmitty's different. But, you know, I think about this a little bit. If I had been in Germany during that time period, when the Jews were being collected, and as a Gentile, would I have been different? Anyway, it's all because of this potato. I think about that. Thank you, Tom. So our next storyteller has told two stories at Story Slam. I think his first time was last year, and he's back again this year. It's so awesome. Please clap your hands for Austin Carey. Adam recorded a lot of cheers during the costume contest, and I hope you use some of those out of context while you're editing the podcast. So. Freshman year, uh, I was in the dorms, and I went as Waldo. Not a very original costume. Um, I was kind of, I wanted to do the whole thing myself, and I got a shirt, a white shirt, I spray painted it, and it smelled awful all night. Um, I, I even had the cane, though, so I, I had the glasses, too, so I was a decent Waldo. And my buddy across the dorm floor hallway, uh, he, he dressed, as, dressed as Oddlaw, which is Waldo's evil counterpart. Uh, he's wearing yellow and black as opposed to the red and white, and he wears transition frame. I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and you know, hope that he's wearing transition frame glasses instead of just black colored glasses, which would be hard to see through. Um, so yeah, we started the night at Freak Fest and eventually moved on to some house parties. At the first house party, we were out on the dance floor and it felt like it was about to collapse into the floor below, so we got out of that one. <laughs> uh, we went to the next house party, and probably through the night, I think some girl had taken ecstasy and was having a bad time. And so like 10 women went with her to the bathroom and just crowded in there. And, um, and we're drinking a lot of beer, so about 20 minutes later, I was either going to piss myself or leave that party. <laughs> so moved on again. Um, I don't remember a lot of this night, I'll be honest. but. We were very sweaty and we are leaving that party into a cold Wisconsin winter. Normally Halloween's much colder than today. And so the sweat was cold on our skin as we exited. And we decided we would just trek back to the dorms. It was probably like 3 a.m. Um, we're taking all the shortcuts on our way there and we're going through this alley and then right at the exit, as we're about to kind of get out of the way, out of out from in between those buildings, these guys fan out and block the exit. And they don't really seem to have much Halloween spirit. They're wearing hoodies and ball caps, and they're very menacing. And they're just kind of staring us down and blocking us from getting through. Um, one comes up to me, and he shoves his ball cap in my face so that it's hitting my forehead. And his face is about three inches from mine. And I have this response that's a mixture of the blood alcohol content and the fight and flight response, and it results in me just kind of standing there awkwardly. <laughs> um, and I feel like I'm going to get robbed. Uh, but he's wearing a Cubs ball cap, so I do remember that I made some conversation. I was like, hey, my mom's from Chicago. Cubs are doing pretty well this year. 
Um, I don't remember much else, but somehow we got, got free of them. My wallet was still in there, uh, my phone in the other pocket, no money missing. I don't really know what their motive was, but it was a great night. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Austin. Next up, uh, he wasn't here last month. He's been here almost every single month since he started coming. He's always got great stories, and my dad said that one time his pubes were like his hair. So please put your hands together for Marty Sosnowski. And I did not get this while I was passed out in a hospital. You know, I wasn't going to bring any props tonight, but I'm glad that I threw my bag in because I don't know about you guys, but this is kind of a strange night. We happen to have the son of Satan here right in front of me. And we also have a pastor over here with a fucking whip and a machete. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not taking any chances. This is just one of those nights where I think I want to be protected from whatever is going to happen in this room tonight. Another thing I want to say is, it's, it's my friend Zachary Shea is here tonight, and I haven't seen him since this summer, and I haven't had a chance to publicly thank him for... He came up to... I had a Meat Man Chronicle storytelling event up in the Mile of Music in Appleton this summer, and Zachary and Melissa were both nice enough to come up and tell stories, and I haven't had a chance to publicly thank Zachary for coming up and telling a story at my event, and I want to do that right now. But... Another thing, I also learned something about Zachary that night, that after my storytelling event, in the alley out back, we had a chicken foot throwing contest, which Zachary kindly signed up for. Now, I was glad to hear Zachary's story tonight because it only confirmed my suspicion that I doubted when Zachary was in school that he was a prime athlete. Because if you've ever seen Zachary throw a chicken foot, the first one he threw went about four feet to the right up on the roof of a fucking building. So I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure that he probably wasn't an athlete as it happened. Now, my story tonight starts out a couple days before Halloween. This, this starts out. And it happens to be on a night, oh my God, this has to do with my sister, Laura. Laura Fritz from Iola, Wisconsin. She is the greatest. I put this girl through so much torture. She is two years older than me, so she was in charge of babysitting us. Five kids, there's five kids. Laura was the oldest, I was the next oldest, and there were three younger ones. And she was always the one in charge of taking care of us. And as you can imagine, I was quite the handful to take care of. And, and she was quite the person to get this done. And she recently beat cancer, so I want to shout out for her. And when she started battling cancer on Facebook, she was posting her upgrades of her chemo treatments and all that. And I put on there that there is no way you can't beat this. Because if I didn't torture you to death as a teenager, you can beat anything. So... My parents are gone out to dinner or something one night, I don't know what it was, and this is a couple days before Halloween. And me and my friends are outside playing basketball in the, yard, in the driveway. And my parents would allow me to move the cars out of our way if they were in our way, it, and I'm like 13 at the time. So my parents are gone, and my mom's car is in the garage, and we're shooting basketballs. And so somehow my friends and I come devise this plan that we should move my mom's car out of the garage because I'm allowed to do this. So we do. We get this idea. Okay, we're going to do this. And my sister immediately comes on and she's like, what are you boys doing? You're gonna, you don't need to move the car. It's in the garage. And I go, yeah, the ball's hitting the car. We want to move the car. So me and my friends get in the car. And the next thing I see as I'm driving down the road in my mom's 63 Plymouth is my sister standing there going, oh my God, you guys come back here. You have 13-year-old kids driving my mom's car down the road 
Three on the tree. I can, I can remember. I could barely reach the pedals, but I'm doing it. We're going down the street. And you know, really, probably drunken driving was a safer bet at this point than three 13-year-old boys taking their mom's car down the street. So down the street we go. Now, we didn't go too far, but we went down, you know, maybe a mile, went around the block, came back, came back in. And at this point, my sister's not even in the house anymore. I don't know where she is. And the other kids are just sitting in the, in the, in the family room watching TV. And all of a sudden, my sister comes in, and she's just been bawling like crazy. The neighbors saw her standing in the road, freaking out over the three boys driving away in the car. And it went and got her and calmed her down finally, because my sister could get very emotional. And as you can imagine, this was fairly emotional because she was supposed to be watching me. So I put the car in the garage, and everything's cool. And sis, my, my sister comes back, and I told her, now don't tell mom and dad. You better not tell mom and dad. And, and my sister was cool, so she wasn't, I knew she wasn't going to. So who talks to my parents about this? The next-door neighbor. Mr. Phil Freiberg is his name. And he sounds like he was very similar to Adam's neighbor. He had the perfect yard. He had it all. He was a, he was a gardener and he had trees and on. Everything was always perfect. And he was just Shea Whitey right there on Shea Whitey Street. And he, and he really didn't like me to begin with. Now, he just ratted me out for, drive, for a 13-year-old kid driving my mom's car around the block. Now, my parents weren't too happy about this. And this was in the days of corporal punishment yet. And so it was very, very common to get your ass whipped for something like this. And I took a pretty severe beating for driving my mom's car around. And I probably deserved it. So, you know, the way that we always looked at it back then was if you're going to take a pretty severe beating, there's got to be a payback. So Halloween is in two days. And we get to Halloween. And in those days, in, this was after they invented candy and we didn't get potatoes anymore. So this is in 1970, we actually had candy and there was actually a lot of kids going out trick-or-treating. And daylight savings time ended earlier back then, so it was dark. So, so they, you know, there's a lot of kids and I come up with this plan, I gotta get this guy back for ratting me out, I had to take a beating for this. So Mr. Freiberg, he also owned a cherry 1965 Mustang convertible. And it always was in his garage. He drove it very little. It wasn't that unusual of a car in 1970 because obviously it wasn't that old. But he knew that it was going to be a, a very valuable car. And he took excellent care of it. Red leather interior, just a gorgeous car. Sat in his garage all the time. So we get to Halloween. My parents notoriously went out for Halloween, so we were good to go there. And my sister's watching me again, and we're out. Now, Mr. Freiberg, Halloween, this time of the year, what do you do? You clean up your yard. He's got, he was the kind of guy who had everything in place. He had all these wooden baskets that he used to put all his leaves and sticks in from his yard. And he had all these wooden baskets lined up next to his garage with all the leaves and all the sticks and stuff, and he was going to take them to the, to the yard waste site. So Halloween's going on this night. And me and my friends just happened to be standing there, and I'm trying to think of a way to pay back Mr. Phil Freiberg. And I look in the garage, and there's that fucking beautiful car sitting right there with the top down. And there are about eight baskets full of leaves and sticks and acorns and stuff like that. And I went, wait a minute, I got an idea. And now, this was such a crazy idea that my friends wouldn't have nothing to do with it. They were like, dude, you're on your own on this one. They held, the, they held the garage door open for me as I slowly went out, basket by basket, in the fucking, in the car. And I mean, I filled that motherfucker right up to the back of the fucking seats. It was filled right up with fucking sticks and stuff. And I'm pretty sure when the Freibergs came home that night, Mr. Phil Freiberg wasn't going, oh, trick or treat! No, I don't think that happened. And you know, believe it or not, I never did get a whooping for that because nobody could really prove who did that, even though everybody in the neighborhood knew who did it. And he even, he even came up to me one time and told me that if I would wash his car every day for a month or something like that, that he would, he would forgive me for it. And I just basically told him to fuck off because I really didn't like him anyway. <laughs> And, and you know, 
as we've all talked about, the storytelling stuff can kind of be a little bit like therapy for a lot of us in, in, in different stories. And tonight, I'm telling this story because I never did do what Adam did. And, and there was no reason for me to really do that to this man. It, 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 and so tonight's my night to publicly apologize to the Freiburg family and to Mr. Phil Freiburg for filling his fucking Mustang up with leaves. And I thank you, Madison, for having the meat man come and tell a story. Thank you all. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Marty. I'm glad we have so much in common. Uh, our next storyteller is the daughter of my fifth grade teacher. And when I was in sixth and seventh grade, I always made fun of her until one day when her mom came to me and said, you know, she really looks up to you, and when you make fun of her, it hurts her heart. Please put your hands together for Amanda Floater. Hold on, we got to do that again, because she was taller than I expected. Please put your hands together for Amanda Floater. That's actually ironic, because he would make fun of my height all the time. So, uh, <laughs> um, so like Adam, I grew up in Christian background, so trick-or-treating wasn't always an option. Uh, my grandpa was a Baptist pastor. Still is. He's not dead, so. <laughs> we lived in Texas at the time, and then my family uprooted and ruined my relationship with the rest of my family by moving us all the way up here. Sad times, but you grow up and you get over it. Um, so with all that being said, I had some time to make up for trick-or-treating, and I love candy. So I had to get really creative with my costumes, and since I missed out on some time, I also trick-or-treated into high school. Yeah, that's me. So... Um, I remember I had just gotten my license and decided that I was going to drive around to as many places as possible and get as much candy as I could, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after hitting up everything that I could, I decided to go to my brother's neighborhood. He lives in a very small town at the time, um, which probably didn't have very many trick-or-treaters, so this next part would probably bring up the suspicion that he had. Uh, so my friend and I had amazing costumes this year. Uh, we took brown paper bags, one side drew a face, on the other side drew a different face, and we would just flip them. And that was how we got double the amount of candy. Uh, <laughs> It was pretty awesome. Um, I am pretty much the same height I was at the time. My friend was quite a bit taller than I am, so that also probably gave away our age, having a giant next to me. Um, so what ended up happening is I drove over to my brother's place, and we just kept going to his house over and over and over again. Uh, we started off with our first face. He thought, okay, high schoolers, how cute. Dropped a few candies in our bag. We took off. A couple minutes later, flipped the mask over. And he's like, oh, you guys, how original. And dropped some candies in our bag. Took off. Well, meanwhile, my dad knew what we were up to. And my brother had decided to call my dad and tell him how annoyed he was with these stupid high schoolers that kept coming to the door and asking for candy. So my dad played stupid and just kind of let my brother vent to him. And we did this probably about maybe six or seven times. <laughs> Um, mind you, the only thing that is visible are my eye holes, so he can only see my eyes. Um, and as time was going, he was starting to throw really random things in our bags. So uh, his two-year-old son's sock made it in there. Um, I think he had a sub sandwich that he threw in mine, but it gets really, really bad. I think we ticked my brother off 
<laughs> enough to where he literally went outside, grabbed some of his dog's poop, placed it into one of the wrappers of candy, and was putting it in our bags. So the last few rounds, we were getting dog tootsie rolls. Uh, meanwhile, like I said, my dad knew this was going on, so he's encouraging us to keep doing this. And then the last round that we went up, my brother was still on the phone with my dad because I remember him talking to him and just blatantly going, here are these a-holes again, stopping by for more candy. Uh, <laughs> then my brother looked at me, and then he did dead straight in my eyes and goes, Amanda <laughs> ripped off my hat and I was caught. So he, he found out it was me eventually and then warned me about the dog poop. So that's my Halloween story. You're still short. Please put your hands together for Alex Lai. Okay, so the reason I signed up late is I wasn't originally planning on telling a story, because I thought this would actually be scary stories. Turns out it's just everyone's Halloween escapades. Um, and then I was realizing as I heard everyone's stories that I actually had pretty weird Halloween experiences for the first several years of my life, and I should probably like make up for the childhood embarrassment and actually get some laughs out of them. Um, so from about third grade through sixth grade, I um, was at this like tiny hippie private school in California. Like it was like a K through eight school, like a hundred kids total. We, there were no grades. There was like the lower school and the middle school and the upper school. And you took classes together. There were no classrooms. You just hung out in a room and went to different circular tables or like sat on the floor. And there were no grades. Um, so that's to give you the picture. That's the type of school this was. Um, and for Halloween, um, they did not allow any typical store-bought costumes. They required that we, they, they made Halloween academic, as I guess private schools are wont to do, um, and they made Halloween into a research project. So every year there'd be a different geographical region of the world that everyone would have to pick some sort of historical figure from, or could be a fictional character if they were, you know, cool enough. Um, and so it rotated each year. Um, and so I have, some, I have some pretty great costumes. My mom was really excited because she really liked sewing. So she got to make me all these intricate costumes that she wouldn't really have found the time for otherwise. And before that, I had only been a clown because she made me one clown costume when I was three. And apparently, it fit me until I was like six. <laughs> I guess I haven't grown that much. <laughs> So she was, she was ready to get back into it. So I have costumes of like Jane Austen and Hatshepsut, the second female pharaoh in Egypt, you know, um, and Eleanor of Aquitaine. So I have all these weird costumes in my closet. But my favorite one, and the one that caused me the most anguish as a probably eight-year-old, um, is this uh, like prairie-style dress and bonnet. So. At the time, I was obsessed with Laura Ingalls Wilder. I sort of still am, and in retrospect, it's probably why I moved to the Midwest, just trying to be her. Um, and so when I, the year that it was the Americas, I got so excited. Like I knew like months in advance, I'm like, I'm gonna be Laura Ingalls, it's gonna be great, like I'll, I'll have like the maple candies and <laughs> like the bonnet that she hates, but because I won't have to actually wear it. <laughs> Um, and so my mom starts making this costume. She makes it in like, like September, which is way earlier than any of us ever plan. We're all procrastinators. Um, so she makes this costume. I go to pick out all the fabric with her. I'm super excited. And October rolls around, and we have these um, sign-ups for what for who we want to be. So the thing about this historical region is that you can you can sort of have duplicates. You can only have one from each like part of the school. So like for Africa, um, for the, the Africa year, there were like three Nefertiti's, like one tiny, one medium, and one like larger. <laughs> but there couldn't be more than three. <laughs> so, so you couldn't double up within your um, grade. <laughs> um, and so October rolls around, and I'm like a scatterbrained child like the scatterbrained adult I am now, and I forget to sign up for a while. And when I finally remember, someone else in my grade has already signed up for Laura Ingalls. 
and I have to, I'm like, oh no, oh no, this is the worst. And my mom picks me up from school and she can see, she's like, what's wrong? And basically this is like our first real argument ever because I'm like, I didn't sign up, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do, you have to make me another costume. She was understandably like pretty upset. Like this took her a long time and I'd been talking about it for months. So it was a, it was a, a rough evening, I, I felt very bad. Um, and the next day I go in and basically eventually we end up deciding that you could have some other fictional, you can have an actual fictional character that's not just a non-fiction fictional character. Um, and so that year there were four girls in prairie dresses, not three, and one of them was Sarah Plain and Tall who is basically alternate children's book version of Laura Ingalls. That's it for this episode of Madison Story Slam. I guess I was wrong in the intro. There weren't any spooky stories, but there were some pretty funny ones by some of my favorite people on this planet. And you know what? One of those people is you. Yeah, maybe you have you weren't on this episode, but here's the thing. You have the chance to be on the next episode of our podcast, and that, you know, makes you one of my favorite people ever. Here's how you could get on the podcast. On Saturday, November 18th, at our Story Slam with the theme Hungover, you can come to the Wilmar Center by 7 o'clock or anytime between 6 and about 9.20. Sign up to tell a story based on the theme Hungover, or if you just have a great story to tell, just come tell that one. And I will put you on the podcast. I make you a guarantee that if you are a new storyteller, I will put you on the next podcast. So, uh, hey, find us on Facebook by searching Madison Story Slam. We're on Instagram and Twitter as well. Just search Madison Story Slam. You can find us there. Find the events that we do. And as always, keep telling stories and keep your stuff in your pants. Love you. <laughs>